Good morning, church. Some of you are like, wow, worship is done? Now, if you get used to our church, worship is just many things. It's not just worship with song. We're going to worship in the Word. We're going to do many aspects of worship so that we're prepared to go out and worship all week, right? Amen. So what we want to do once in a while at church here at Crossway is we want to have some songs, kind of get our minds kind of set, kind of like a compass, kind of orientate, kind of get, get focused on the Lord, and then we're going to take time in the Word. We're going to have our minds engage with truth, and then our hearts respond in worship. So I'm going to do things a little backwards sometimes. I'm going to preach first, and then we're going to worship with song. Because that's who God is. He is worthy of that. Amen? Amen. Because so many times we do this, we, we kind of just, we come to church, we put our hands in our pockets, sing song, okay, we sing songs, okay, what color are they wearing tonight? Okay, yep, all right. I happened to, wow, I didn't know it today. And, uh, and then, okay, then, then it's preaching time. Okay, yep, that, that makes sense. And then you just kind of like, oh, let's pack up our chairs and go. I don't want to do that. I don't want to just be routine. So here's, the, here's what I'm going to do. We've been going through the Old Testament. I've been going through a series looking at the cross, the gospel message, even in the Old Testament. And we've been plugging away through Genesis, but I want to stop. I want to take two weeks now. Two weeks and do this. What are you doing about the truth we've been talking about? What are we doing about the truth we've been talking about? So I'm going to talk about corporate worship and individual worship. And I've found two passages, there's many passages, that talk about different people responding to the greatness of God. A few weeks ago I said this, I said, when we go through the narrative, when we go through the Old Testament, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be looking at many different stories, and these are all about God. He is the primary person in this story, right? This is about God. But it's not only about God. It's also about us how we are to respond. In fact, some of you wrote in the front of your Bible, when you read a little paragraph or a chapter, you you look at that question, what does this tell me about God? But we don't stop there. We have to then ask the question, how am I to respond to this? What am I to do with this truth, with this reality of who God is and my situation? A few months ago, we went through Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We talked a lot about responding. I wrote some of this down. When we looked at Romans chapter 12, I said this, The saving work of God is not only about the gospel of salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. It is also the good news that is at work in us to transform us to the image of God. And when we are changed by the gospel, listen to this, when we're changed by this, this change must be shown in your conduct. Okay? That's what we're going to do today. And in the Bible, we see many different responses to the reality of who God is. So what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to pray. If you don't have a Bible, we'll hand out some Bibles, and we'll dismiss the kids. So kids, here's what you're going to do. Some of you are going to go to Sunday school. I'm going to preach. You guys will be in there. And then we're going to send Tim. Tim, when I'm done with my message, Tim's going to come and get you all, and we're going to worship together corporately, okay? So let's pray, everyone, together, and then kids, you'll be dismissed after I pray. Father God, we come before you and we ask that you would just move in our hearts. 
we have been given so many great things because of you. Your gifts are so good. We've looked upon the beauty of creation, the beauty of your trustworthiness, the beauty of your promises, your relationship with us, the covenant, your provision, your presence. God, I pray that that would awaken us to respond in a proper way. So Spirit, move among us. Stir our hearts to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, kids, if you want to go to Sunday school, some of you will go, some of you will stay. Head that way, and then we will send Tim to go get you when we're done so we can worship together. And if you don't have a Bible today, that's okay. Sometimes you just get busy or you forget. We have two Bibles back there. We've got a Bible here. Anyone need this one? Everyone's got a Bible? If you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up quick. John will get you a Bible. If you would turn to... Second Chronicles chapter twenty eight. Second Chronicles twenty eight. What are we to do with the revealed character of God? What are we to do? Second Chronicles twenty eight. Now, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll see that there's many kings. And (laughs) we live in a day when we see people and leaders around us that are not doing what they should. And sometimes it seems, when I was a little boy, whenever it was election time in the States, we would have, you know, little commercials, little things. And it was usually positive. You'd be like, oh, okay, that person, okay, there's that person. There wasn't much mudslinging. Wow, I'm amazed today where pretty much all the commercials are just mudslinging. Because they're trying to say, look at how bad that person is. Look at how bad. When you read through the Old Testament, you just go, wow, these kings weren't bad. They were evil. In fact, one time I made a chart of all the kings. I read through um, 1 Samuel, 1 Kings, and then Chronicles. I just wrote on all the kings. I went, bad, bad, evil, evil, bad, bad. There's one good. Bad, 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 evil, bad. Okay, there's another good one. Wow, they were just so bad. Here's what is amazing. Here are people living among the beauty, the glory, the dwelling of God, kings, chosen people, and they don't get it. So that's why I'm taking some time right now to pause for you, because I'm afraid that some of you don't get it. So today's the day that I've rolled up my sleeves, put my nice jeans on, the fancy ones, I've dressed more appropriate than some of you have because these are my nicest ones you don't have your nicest suit on because today is a work day i'm praying i've been praying so much that the lord works deeply in your heart because this is serious stuff very serious stuff because if you think that church is just a place to come when we worship we sing songs we learn some cool things we leave honestly you are missing it and in the end you will die. Let's take a look at this. Second Chronicles 28. Giving you some time to find that. Let's start with verse 22. Second Chronicles 28. Make sure you're in the Old Testament, not Corinthians. Some of you are like, oh, I'm in the wrong spot there. 22, verse 22. In 
His, listen to this, in his time of trouble, King Ahaz, in his time of trouble, okay, here's a phrase that I'm going to use often in this next year as we go through the Old Testament. Here it is. Do not let circumstances dictate how you worship God. Let me say it again. Pretty soon you'll have this memorized. Do not let circumstances dictate how you worship God. Here is King Ahaz in his time of trouble. How many of you have troubles? Come on, be honest. Some of you have little troubles. Some of you have big troubles. We all have troubles. This past week for me has been a time of trouble. There was one day when one trouble was this way. I had trouble with some friends. I had trouble over here. My heart was just like, oh. Sin was crouching in my door. I was like, oh. Listen. Do not let circumstances dictate how you worship. And here's some of the issues that some of you deal with. When trouble comes your way, what do you do? Oh, I turn to more coffee. Those who laugh, that's you, okay? I'm just making sure. Okay? Oh, when there's more trouble, this can be a real bad day. Two pots today, right? When there's trouble, what do you turn to? Oh, coffee is it. And it's got to have that nice little emblem on that that's green. And sure what, uh, yeah. It's got little dolphins, or I don't know what's, what's on there. Okay. Maybe it's more vitamin D. You know, the sun's going to be going away pretty soon here, right? Some of you say winter's just blah around here, so maybe you need to load up on the vitamin D. This, this winter's going to be hard for you, so like, oh, I just need more vitamin D. I need to get the right stuff in me. Or it's Sunday for some of you, and you know what that day means. There's a game today. Well, you're saying, well, we can beat the Cowboys. But next week, they're playing the greatest team in the NFL. <laughs> Monday night. It'll be a different story, maybe. In your trouble, what do you turn to? Okay, church, please get this in you. Listen to this. Here's the whole statement. Do not let circumstances dictate how you worship. Instead, here it is, let worship dictate how you live in your circumstances. Instead, let all those big blocks we had last week, all these concepts of God, who He is, His truth, His reality, let that dictate how you live in your circumstances. When trouble comes, how do you live? Let me give you an example. A few years ago, was with, we were in South America. I was with a bunch of my students, and we were, we were caring for orphanage, different orphans, and, we, and I was spending a lot of time... Um, investing into the missionaries and, and training the indigenous pastors. And one of my, my key leaders came up to me and said, Cody, I've got to talk to you. Okay. Because listen, I, I, I just can't contain it anymore. I really like so-and-so. And I was like, wow! He's like, oh, I just, I, it's been in me for like six months. And when my students are with me, they just know dating, pff, five years from now, let's not deal with that right now because we've got other things to do. And they're just like, okay. If I'm going to hang out with Cody, dating, pitch it. We're doing this for five years, okay. So he was kind of like, I, oh, I'm nervous, Cody, but I just, I got to let her know. And I was like, great, let's pray about this for a year. Oh, <laughs> a year? What are you talking about? I'm like, let's pray for God's in control. If she's meant for you, it will happen even if you try not to do it. So let's pray for a year. Oh, I got to let her know tonight. Okay, so he went and told her. 
snuck off. They had a little hour talk, and I was praying for them. And then later that night, we got together and we worshipped. It was worship time with song. So we gathered, and I tell you what, out of everyone, he was the one who was like, yeah! He was like, woo He was all excited. Thank you, God! His circumstances were, yeah, both thumbs up. The next morning, she spent some time praying, talking to some people. She said, listen, I, don't, I just don't think it's right right now. Oh, he was devastated. That morning we had worship time. His hands were in his pockets. He was like, oh, oh, Lord, why? Mercy. He was letting circumstances dictate how he worshiped. Instead of letting worship dictate how he lived in his circumstances. And here's the big thing in Scripture. God reveals himself, especially the Old Testament, say, I am God. I'm trustworthy. I've made promises. I'm all about restoration in the relationship. Don't worry about your circumstances. Worship me. I'm trustworthy. And those circumstances will be seen through those things. In his troubles... So in your troubles, what do you turn to? Is it worship? Is it truth? Or is it all these human things you think that can help attain peace? In his time of trouble, King Ahaz became even, look at that, more unfaithful. I, I even wrote down in my notes, I was like, these kings were bad. I crossed out bad. They were evil. They did wicked things. And we'll see some of these things as you read through the Old Testament. He became even more unfaithful to the Lord. Verse 23. He offered sacrifices to the gods of Damascus who had defeated him. For he thought, since the gods of the kings of Aram have helped him, So what is he doing? He's saying, well, that people, those people over there, their gods help them, so I'm going to sacrifice to them. And that's called pragmatism in the religious sense. Pragmatism. That means practically looking at whatever works. For instance, I'm a fisherman. When I was a kid, I had my lucky fishing hat. (laughs) Oh, I wore that thing. When I wore that thing, I would catch the bass. And if I would turn it, I'd be like, when I turn the hat... I'm going to catch the bigger bass. And once in a while it would work. So I'd be like, this is my lucky hat. When I wear that, and then if I forget my hat, I didn't catch any fish, I'd be like, oh, I should have wore the hat. Of course, I was just kind of goofing around because I really liked the hat because it stunk like the fish probably. My mom wanted to throw it away. But people religiously do that, especially in India. Hinduism is full of that. If they plant their seeds on this day and they don't grow, well, well, we're not doing that. The gods didn't have favor on me. But I planted my seeds on this day and it happened to rain, so that's what we're going to do every day, every year. We're going to plant at that time. Whatever is successful in controlling the circumstances, that's the best way to do it. And that's what King Ahaz does. He says, fine, I'm going to worship to these gods instead, instead of the God who controls every circumstance of our life. So he turns to the gods who helped them. Finishing the verse, I will sacrifice to them so they will help me. Listen to this. But they were his, that's singular, they were his downfall and the downfall of 
all of Israel. Listen, it's interestingly that the collective downfall starts with the individual downfall of a leader. Isn't that interesting? The whole corporate downfall is because of individual downfall. Verse 24, Ahaz gathered together the furnishings from the temple of God and took them away. He shut the doors of the Lord's temple and set up altars in every street corner in Jerusalem. Man, just wicked things are happening. Idolatry is everywhere. In every town in Judah. He built high places to burn sacrifices to other gods. And, listen to this, he provoked the Lord. Please listen. And I hope that politicians would get this today. I hope our leaders in America today would get this. God will not be silent. Amen? He will not be silent. And he can and will be provoked. He'll be provoked. And provoke the the Lord. Listen to this phrase. The God of his fathers. We've been talking about some of this stuff. Abraham... Isaac, Jacob, this is the God of the fathers. And whenever you see this in the Old Testament, this is what the people, when they would hear these stories, when they were taught these stories, when they would read this, right away, whenever you hear the phrase, the God of our fathers, here's what they would think. They would think, oh, that's, the, that's our heritage. They wouldn't just go, oh, that's the God of our fathers. They would think, oh, he's the God of promise. He's the God who's the creator. He is trustworthy. But here Ahaz angers that God. Verse 26. The other events of his reign and all his ways from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. Ahaz rested with his father. He died. and was buried in the city of Jerusalem, but he was not placed in the tombs of the kings of Israel. And, listen to this, Hezekiah, his son, succeeded him as king. So Ahaz, foolish, wicked man. In his troubles, he let circumstances dictate how he worshipped. Instead of letting the truth of the God of the fathers that he had that have gone before him, that God control situations around him. Let's get into 29. Ahaz was 25 years old. Wow. Oh, sorry, Hezekiah. I'm thinking Ahaz there. Hezekiah was 25 years old. How many of you wish you were 25 years old? Some of you are like, I've been through that. No way. (laughs) Just a young buck. So here's Hezekiah, 25 years old. Our politicians aren't that old. I mean, that young. We have old politicians nowadays compared to this, 25 years old. Can you imagine if we had a 25-year-old running for president? Wow, people are like, no, he doesn't have experience. He's not ready. He hasn't gone through life situations. He, doesn't, he's, he just got out of school. He doesn't... I love this. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah, Look at verse 2. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. What is right? We will see some of these things. Then look at this next phrase. Just as his father David had done. 
Well, who's his father? Ahaz. Well, no, no, no. Is this something's wrong in my Bible? Maybe it's, the Bible's written wrong. There are, there's an error in my Bible. No, the Bible doesn't have any errors. Listen. His father was a wicked man, and he chooses the right path. And because of that, he's not connected with the wickedness. He is connected with the goodness, rightness. I love that. He did what his father David. In fact, you only find I've only found twice that the kings of all the kings, only two of them mention this kind of phrase. It's Hezekiah, and a few chapters later, Josiah. The rest of them, they don't get that. Just as his father David had done. Here we go. Verse 3, it begins. In the first month of the first year of his reign. Right away he gets to business. In fact, I wrote this down last night. We are in a serious situation politically. Politicians and statesmen are coming up with many ways and human devices they think sound good to get them voted to help our nation. But even more is our serious spiritual situation. There is corruption, decay, and idolatry in our lives and in the churches around us. We need divine means. We need God to intervene today. Seriously. Right now. Get it done. He is not passive. Right away, the first month, the first year, Hezekiah gets to business. What does he do? He, right away, some verbs here. He gets going, he starts moving, and he does it. He opens the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. His dad closed them. His dad said, close up the temple. We're not going to worship God. Instead, we're going to do all this other foolishness, all this other sin, idolatry. The first thing he does is he opens the temple of the Lord. And I wrote this down. Listen to this. His first focus was to revive the worship of the Lord. That's the primary thing we should be all about, worship of God. He opens the doors of the temple and repairs them. He brought, look at verse 4 of 29. He brought in the priest and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side, and said, it's very important, listen to me, Levites. Consecrate yourself. What's this word? What does it mean to consecrate? It's this. Set your side, set apart yourself. Get yourself aside. You are to be set apart. You are to be holy. The Levites didn't even know what they were doing. The, the temples close up. They're not doing what they should be doing. And he says, I need to get you first. You have been set apart for the purpose of God. Clean yourself. Consecrate yourself. The first thing he says to the people is clean yourself. Look at the passage here. It says, listen, consecrate yourself, which is clean. Make yourself holy. Set apart. Get rid of that wicked stuff. And now, consecrate yourself now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your fathers. There is that phrase again. Remove all defilement from your sanctuary. Get rid of this stuff. Remove it. This is very important. I'll be honest with some of you, because I'm like this. It's so easy to keep sin close to you instead of being serious with sin and cutting it off. 
And some of you continue in your sin. No wonder there's so much pain and misery internally and externally. When I was in high school, there was a, I listened to a lot of 80s Christian rock. It was good stuff. Still is. I still listen to it. I'll never forget a song that said, whatever happened to sin? We seem to have pushed that aside, haven't we? We just go on with our lives. When's the last time you stopped and said, God, is there anything that's keeping me from you? And dealing with it. Removing all of that. Listen to what he says. Remove all the defilement from the sanctuary. Look at verse 6. 6 and a couple verses here talks about remembering very important things. Our fathers were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord, our God, and forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors of the portico and put out the lamps. They did not burn incense, present any burnt offerings at the sanctuary to the God of Israel. Therefore, the anger of the Lord has fallen on Judah and Jerusalem. He made them an object of dread and horror and scorn, as you can see with your own eyes. There's a lot of idolatry. There's a lot of sin. A lot of wickedness happening. And he says, listen to me. Clean up. You've been set apart. Do something about it. So what do they do? Look at, look at, I think I stopped at verse 8 here. Look at verse 9. This is why our fathers have fallen by the sword and why our sons and daughters and wives are taken into captivity. 6 through 9 describe idolatry and the results of it. Now, I'm not here to say that because you suffer right now, because some of you are going through some troubles, it's because of all the sin you have. And if you get rid of all the sin, you're going to be happy and prosperous and there will be no pain and suffering. No. But I can almost guarantee that most of the troubles you have are because of sin and issues that you have not dealt with. And because you don't understand who God is. As I said weeks before, most of our troubles, most of our issues stem from an incorrect view of God. And the more you understand who God is, the more you understand that He's holy, the more you'll see sin and be disgusted with sin, and you'll just get rid of it. That's why there's so much death, pain, suffering. Very serious stuff in verse 9. What does He do about it? What is the first thing? Look at verse 10. Now I intend to make a covenant with the Lord. He wants to renew it. I'm sorry. Here I, I, we failed. And I've said this before again and again. God, here's the, here's the gist of the Old Testament. God, in His greatness, creates us in His image. He's a good God. He gives us grace and mercy. But we sin. We fail against His holy standard. And God, and we've seen this in Genesis makes a covenant with his people, makes a vow, like this wedding ring I have on. He makes a vow. He says, I promise to you, I will be your God, 
you will be my people. He is consistent. They keep failing. They keep failing. They keep failing. And guess what? They finally wake up and say, I'm sorry. Just as it would be in a marriage that has adultery. The one person who's committed adultery says, I am sorry. Please have mercy on me. Forgive me. And that's what Moses does. He recommits. He says, I'm sorry. Let's do this again. Now I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. He recommits. Jump down to verse 15. Partially because I don't want to pronounce all those words in the middle, all those names. I have a problem reading in English. I'd rather just read in Hebrew. It's a little bit easier. Look at verse 15. When they had assembled their brothers and consecrated themselves, they, they cleaned up. They cleaned up their hearts. They got ready to do the work of God. They went in to purify the temple of the Lord as the king had ordered following the word of the Lord. I like how they, number one, follow what the king says. They follow what the leader says. But it's hingent upon what God has said. They follow what the Lord says. And how do... How does the king know? Quickly turn to Deuteronomy. You don't have to if it takes too long, but Deuteronomy chapter 17. In just one little section here. They do what the king has ordered and they follow the way of the Lord. Deuteronomy, this is one of my favorite verses as a pastor. Deuteronomy chapter 17 verse 18. Deuteronomy are two long sermons that Moses gives describing the law. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible, Deuteronomy. And I love this about the king. Here's instructions to the king. When you enter the land, God has given you the king. You guys will appoint kings. The king's going to do this. Look at verse 18. When he takes the throne of his kingdom... He's to build a big empire for himself, make a lot of campaigns and say, here's all the things I'm going to do. What is the first thing the king is to do? He is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. Taken from that which the priests, who are the Levites. He's to copy what God has commanded It's not only just for the priest and Levite, but the king should have the law as the number one thing. And that's what we see Hezekiah doing back in 2 Chronicles. Hezekiah does it, and if you read later this week, Josiah, he does it also. But he doesn't know about it because they find it. It's a beautiful story. So let's take a look at, again, 2 Chronicles. As the king had ordered, following the word of the Lord, verse 16, the priests went to the sanctuary of the Lord to purify it. They brought out into the courtyard of the Lord's temple everything unclean they found in the temple of the Lord. 
The Levites took it and carried it out to Kidron Valley. They took all the things that were hindering the people from worship, all the things that were distracting the people, idolatry, they took it in the courtyard, then they took it to Kidron Valley and pitched it in the valley. We have this story in 2 Kings. Please turn to 2 Kings. If you ever read through the Old Testament, we're going to be working our way through the Old Testament, you will see that it goes 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, there's chronology, and then you go to 1 Chronicles, and you're like, wait, this person died. Wait, I already heard this story. 2 Chronicles can be placed chronologically over the kings. So we have these stories, and they're written for different reasons. Take a look at 2 Kings, verse 18. Well, chapter 18, sorry, chapter 18, 2 Kings. And I'll just read a few verses here. Here's the same story, but with a little bit more Cody style. Remember the kind of movies I like to watch compared to the kind my wife likes to watch? I like all the action. I like all the stuff, and my wife closes her eyes like, oh, finish it, please. Here's Hezekiah. Uh, verse 3, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord just as his father David had done. We, we read that in Second Chronicles. Look at verse 4. 2 Kings 18, verse 4. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asher pill, poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made. Well, that was a good thing. He smashed it. He broke it. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. So this is what's been happening. They have all this stuff that they had, and they were worshiping objects instead of worshiping God. Some of you know the story. There were snakes around, they were being bitten, they were dying, and God told Moses, make a serpent, put it on a pole, put it on a stick, a bronze serpent, and people will look at it, and in that they will be saved, they will be healed. Remember that story? Here's what happened. Instead of worshiping God, they worshiped the object. The object was just to remind them of God. In fact, we see that symbol all the time when you see an ambulance. You've got the star of life, and right in the middle is that symbol, the pole and the snake. Surprise, secular people haven't thrown their hands up in the air and said, get rid of that, that's religious. Well, they don't read the Bible, so we'll keep it on there for a while. But wouldn't that be foolish to do that? Why would they worship that? It's like this. Yesterday I went out with my kids and we went to, I love going to rummage sales, get to see, talk with people, find out what people are doing around and I get to find things that I need to get. I like rope, you know that already. (laughs) This is about 300 feet of rope and it was piled up in a corner and I saw it, it was was all a big mess and I asked the guy, I said, hey, how much for that rope? He goes, oh, three bucks. I'm like, three bucks? I'll buy that for three bucks. And as I was pulling up, he said this, you know this rope? Save someone's life. We were on a construction site, and in the midst of this bundle was a bunch of other blue stuff. He said, that blue stuff was his harness. He fell off the roof, and that saved him. And then the guy walked away, and I was like, wow, what a story. This rope saved someone's life. Honestly, if I, if I was that guy, I would be like, I'm buying that rope, and that's sitting on the fireplace mantle the rest of my life, Right? Seriously, if that was me, I'd be like, that, look it, I almost died, but that saved me. 
I'd even cut a little piece like this and maybe have it as a keychain hanging around. That, you know. And then you see what I'm getting at? Oh, this saved me. Oh, look at this saved me. Oh, thank you. Woohoo! Look at this rope. Let's make dresses out of for my girls and we'll, you know, make a cool tie if I like to look like John. This saved me. No, it didn't save me. God saved that man. Next week, I'm going to go back to that house and find that guy. Say, hey, tell me more of that story. Who is that guy? I want to meet him. And say, God saved you. Here's a piece of that rope. Remember, God's hands on your life. Turn to him. But the problem with the Israelites can be just like us. It's called misdirected worship. These objects, these religious duties, they became the objects of worship instead of pointing them to whom to worship. I see it all around me. I'm an outdoors guy. So I see a lot of outdoors video. I hang out with outdoors people. And a lot of them have misdirected worship. They worship the ecosystem. They worship trees. They worship other stuff. And I just go, that's just misdirected worship. But the people of Israel have been worshiping the bronze. And so he just took it. He said, get rid of it and smash it. Let me bring it to you. What do you worship, church? What do you turn to when you have a bad day? Is it that coffee? Is it your skills and abilities? Is it, well, I'm going to pull out my credit card and that's going to help me. Oh, is it, I go to the doctor right away. What do you turn to in the midst of troubles? What do you worship? If it's not God, smash it. Get rid of it. Destroy it. It will ruin you as it's been ruining the people. So they get down to business. They cleanse. They clean up. Let's go back to Second Chronicles. Uh, verse 16. The priest went into the sanctuary of the Lord to purify it. They brought out into the courtyard of the Lord's temple everything unclean they found in the temple of the Lord. And they smashed it, broke it. That's what the, the King's passage talks about. The Levites took it and carried it out to Kidron Valley. They began the consecration on the first day of the first month, and by the eighth day of the month, they reached the portico of the Lord. So they've been taking eight days to get into the temple. Eight days it took them. For eight more days, they consecrated the temple of the Lord itself, finishing on the 16th day of the first month. This is what amazes me is this. Listen to this. It took 16 days to get ready for worship. 16 days. Why is it that when we have a miserable life, we have a horrible week, and our hands are in our pockets, our hearts are just not right with the Lord, and we come to church and go, it's time to worship right now. Okay, boom, there, let's let it happen. It took them how many days? 16 days just to get their hearts ready. I was going to have Pastor John sing the song, Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are. And just as he did that, I was going to stand up and say, Stop, stop, stop! And I was going to start my sermon. Freak you all out by yelling. Interrupt John's song. Do we come just as we are? No. I have yet to find in Scripture that worship 
is acceptable to those who just, who just come all miserable and have attitudes and have all this stuff. Get your heart right. Oh, we do have in Isaiah 55, come as you are. Come without money. Without, why put your money on things that do not satisfy? There's an aspect of coming to the Lord, but when you come to the Lord, get your heart right. And it may take 16 days to clean your heart. If so, get busy cleaning. 16 days it took. That just amazes me. It took that long. 16 days to surrender. Verses 18 through 24. Now we get preparation just for worship. You know, I find it interesting in this passage that Hezekiah just doesn't become king. All right, we want to be a godly nation. Let's worship. Get the praise band together. Let's worship. Bam. It takes 17 days to get to that point because there's so much crud in their life. 18. Then they went to the king, Hezekiah, and reported. And these are the Levites, the priests. We have purified the entire temple of the Lord, the altar of burnt offering, with all the utensils, and the table for setting out the consecrated bread. With all its articles, we have prepared and consecrated all the articles that King Ahaz removed in his unfaithfulness while he was king. They are now in front of of the Lord's altar. And verses 20 through 24 are all about getting all the animals ready, all the stuff, preparation ready for worship. Now they're ready for corporate worship. Look, look at even verse 25. He stationed the Levites in the temple of the Lord with cymbals, harps, layers, and the way that was prescribed by David. And all the stuff was ready all the instruments and their trumpets. Then verse 27. Finally, worship happens. 27 verses to get ready for worship. 17 days because there was so much stuff in the way. Hezekiah gave the order to sacrifice the burnt offering on the altar. As the offering began, as worship began, as the worship service began, listen to this. This is so great. Singing to the Lord began also, accompanied by the trumpets and the instruments of David, king of Israel. The whole assembly bowed in worship while the singers sang and the trumpets played. All this continued until the sacrifice of the burnt offering was completed. That is corporate worship. It's this. Getting our hearts ready before the Lord. Getting ring of all the defilement, all the things that we turn to. Don't let circumstances dictate how you worship. Instead, let worship of God dictate how you live in your circumstances. You understand, you're ready for Him, and then you get ready and you worship the living God. And here is the good news for you. You don't have to do all this stuff anymore. Praise God, we're on this side of the cross, Amen. We don't have to sit and get all the rams, all the lambs. Those were just pointing to that great ultimate sacrifice. And here's it. We who are in Christ, just turn to him and say, God, forgive me. He's the sacrifice once and for all. It's done. And in him, we turn our hearts and say, God, forgive. Let me now worship 
you. And they begin to worship the Lord. Verse 29, chapter 20, sorry, chapter 29, verse 31. Then Hezekiah said, You have now dedicated yourself to the Lord. Come, bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the temple of the Lord. So the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings, and all whose hearts were willing brought burnt offerings. So I have a challenge for you, and it's very simple, but it's going to be very hard. Instead of taking 17 days, I'm going to give you a 14-day challenge. From this Sunday, next Sunday, and when we'll meet in a couple Sundays, that will be the end of 14 days. My 14-day challenge is this. Go through the temple. We don't have to go through a temple, a building. There used to be a building. Then Jesus came, and we are the temple, right? Go through your heart. Is there anything keeping you from God? Is there anything in the past, 30, 40 years ago, that you just you need to deal with? Deal with it now. Is there stuff, your attitudes about people, deal with it now? 14 days, clean house. It's spring cleaning in our church. 14-day challenge is this. Every day wake and say, God, is there anything keeping from me? Is there attitudes? Is there relationships? Is there sin? Is there idolatry? In the troubles, what do I turn to? Am I letting circumstances dictate how I worship? Take 14 days and say, God, clean me. Get rid of that stuff so I can now worship you more fully in a beautiful and right heart. 14 days, I encourage you to do that. 14 days, look and say, am I ready? Am I dedicated to the Lord? Dedicate yourself every day. 14 days, just go, I'm going to dedicate myself to the Lord today. I'm going to dedicate myself to the Lord, and soon it will be a habit where you just naturally do it. 14 days, follow verse 31. We, like Hezekiah, need to clean out the temple. Look at the last verse of this chapter. Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God, it's not Hezekiah, the focus is God, what God had brought about for his people. Listen to this. Because it was done so quickly, it took 17 days, and I imagine their worship service probably went for days and days. That's not quickly. How much more quickly is the cross where we can turn to him right now and say, God, I desperately need you. Let me end with this verse. Everyone turn to Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. This has to be in your heart. This has to be etched into your memory. Live this out. I encourage you, we have on our website some of the old sermons we've had. We took three Sundays just to look at this verse, I believe. It's called Acceptable Worship, Spiritual Worship, and Holy Worship, or something like that. Listen to those again. Hear this verse. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you I plead with you 
brothers, in view of God's mercy, remember what I said? The cross. Because of the cross, what? To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Fourteen days, live in that. Sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Live holy lives. Be pleasing to the Lord, because that is worship. So some of you need to get rid of idolatry. Some of your passions, some of you have addictions that you just, they seem to haunt you like demons. Because of the cross, you have freedom. Amen? Some of you have memories that haunt you. You have freedom in Christ. The enemy, one of his greatest tricks is to remind you of the old shackles you had on. Look and say, I'm free! Worship in his freedom. Don't worship things that helped you get free. Worship his freedom. Some of you need to get rid of idolatry. Some of you need to remember the things and cleanse yourself. Some of you need to surrender all things, and that is corporate worship. So Tim, go get the kids. I'm going to pray. And I want you to do this. As we worship the Lord, if some of you have issues in your heart, don't be like, I can't worship In the cross, you can. There's freedom in the cross. In Christ, you can be like, thank you, God. Amen? In the cross, you can stand up and say, by his grace only can I stand right now. Because if the Lord marked our transgressions, who would stand, it says in the cross. So I want you, with the rest of us, to, as we have let our words be purified, let our hearts be purified by the word, Let us together, corporately, worship and thank the God who in Him we have great mercy. Let's pray.